Are you sick of hearing about Crooked Bend Wildlife Seed yet? Too bad. They're great folks and they support the haphazard, mumbly-bumbly, unorganized, two fools BSing about deer podcast that is Wolverine Whitetail. Not only that, but they're a Michigan-made growing business that specializes in a variety of wildlife seeds sure to keep your herd happy. Check them out online at crooked-bend.com or on Instagram at crookedbend. Upon checkout, use the code Wolverine to get a free Crooked Bend hat with your order. Crooked Bend Wildlife Seed. Love your herd. Welcome to episode eight of the Wolverine Whitetail podcast presented by Crooked Bend Wildlife Food Plot Seed. It's been a minute since the last episode, but we're excited to get back together and talk a little whitetail action here in February in what has become frigid cold Michigan. Chooch, buddy, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking, pal. You know, uh, just enjoying the cold weather. Tom Brady's got another ring and, you know, the Lions didn't make the playoffs again and um, other than that, it's just cold weather, ice fishing, and wishing it was deer season still. Yeah, so what you're saying is all is well because uh, the Lions are never going to make the playoffs. Uh, well, I got I got money betting that that's the case, so it's kind of like a win-win because if they do make the playoffs and do something, I'll be happy. And if they don't, I just keep winning money. So it's like an ongoing bet for endless amounts of time. So, um yeah, man, let's talk football, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's we probably wouldn't. Uh, we'd probably lose a few listeners doing that, but <laughs> what? I mean, we only got two to start, but <laughs> we got to hedge where we can. Yeah, no, it's good, man. It's good. I'm glad to get get back talking again. I know this one, um, you know, we wanted to kind of space things out. We probably spaced it out a little longer than we expected to, but I think this is a cool one. It's something different. And, um, yeah, we'll get into it, but, uh, I'm really excited to talk about it and just talk about whitetails again with you. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's, it's the middle of February now. Um, the last of the deer seasons here wrapped up last month in January. You could still bow hunt in the tri-county area in January. Um, I don't think either of us, you didn't go out, right? I'm trying to think. I I don't think I went out at all after December, like after the new year. So, no, I planned on it, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't go either. Uh, I know a couple of people who did, and I don't know anybody that got one during that, but we, a couple of my buddies did find some good, good stuff to look at next year. So the late season is not all for not anyway. But um, yeah. uh, so this episode, wind bumps, baby. I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, the focus of this one is going to be kind of on the that muzzleloader season here in Michigan. So we, we kind of started with archery, moved on to the regular firearm season, and now we're going to cover muzzleloader season. So um, I guess we can kind of just 
dive right into it a little bit, but you've got a lot more experience muzzleloader hunting than I do. Cause I don't, I don't even have a muzzleloader. I'll start right there. But anyway, like how do you, how would you approach muzzleloader hunting differently than the other forms of deer hunting that we've already talked about aside from like obvious things? Well, yeah. you know, let's back up. Cause you know, the whole, we always said that we wanted to educate people on stuff. Maybe we should talk about the obvious things too. Like you pretty much only get, one shot for the most part right and it's got to be relatively closer range compared to a different firearm um what what else would you add to that i would say um more modern muzzleloaders recently i don't even know if that's the case depending on what type of firearms you're talking like i know people who shoot their muzzleloaders out to 300 yards you know um yeah i think it all depends obviously you you get what you pay for but yeah, for me, like, I'm not taking a shot over 200 yards with mine. And just a little PSA, I mean, this is only my this was only my second year using a muzzleloader, so I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means. But, um, but it is awesome, and it's a lot of fun, and there's just something, I don't know, number one, I love, I just love my muzzleloader. I love shooting it. It's a fun gun to shoot. But there's just something about having that one shot that I – kind of enjoy because it's like do or die you know you got to make it count um yeah i don't know there's like a weird I, i'm just a weird person is what it comes down to at the end of the day but uh there's there's something about it and i can't like say nostalgic because i had never done it before like two seasons ago but something like very very old school about it that it, it draws me to it but i mean as far as other things like the obvious i mean i think you pretty much hit it you you pretty much get one shot um but as approaching it differently i don't know if you can think of any other obvious things i mean unless you want to explain what a muzzle loader is like black powder i mean it's a self-loading uh firearm and you know it's it's come a long ways it's not like you have to sit there and measure out the powder and all this like you used to have to but um yeah, it's not much different than regular firearm hunting or even for that matter, besides the range difference that you get from a firearm. I don't approach it any different than bow hunting, really. It just depends. You know, it's the time of year, like you're doing it in the winter months or later on in the year when the patterns change and deer change and things of that nature. So obviously you're going to approach it differently, but um, not much different overall. But I'd say a little bit more preparation and organization is good just as far as keeping the gun clean because when you shoot that black powder it'll dirty up your barrel real quick foul it and you don't want to go more than two or three shots without like cleaning it really well and a lot of people just get complacent and lazy with their firearms i mean i think to some extent probably most if not all people do that sometimes but i feel like with a muzzleloader you have to stay on top of it or your gun's going to be no good if you let it sit for too long with all that fouling, um, you know, preloading ammo. Like I have little, um, cases that I'm really glad that I bought. Uh, I think I bought them. I think I bought them when I bought the muzzleloader. They're just like little cases where I can hold my powder, um, hold my primers, hold my bullet, uh, my sab or whatever in that way. No, knowing where those are on my pack when I'm out muzzle loading, and I experienced it firsthand this past December, 
you know, if you need a follow-up shot, you don't want to be sitting there scrambling, looking like Elmer Fudd. Yeah. Uh, you know, messing around, searching for things. And, yeah, they, if you need it, you're going to need it quick. So I'd say just, like, organization, I felt like, was a little bit more important. Uh, there's not as much give. There's not as much room for error. Um, you know, you only have one shot, one opportunity, everything you ever wanted. You have to capture it, you know? Yeah. Would you take it or would you let it slip? Uh, time time will tell, you know? <laughs> I I have a couple questions for you because my knowledge on this stuff is pretty limited. I mean, my dad has a muzzleloader, but he just kind of bought one of those kits off the rack, and he has killed a deer with it, but it it's uh, nothing fancy. But like, how long does it take you to load that thing? Uh, well, I can tell you, December fourth. I I think I reloaded it in record time. I don't know. I couldn't tell you how long, but uh. I have to sit here and actually, if you want an accurate answer, I got to kind of think about that. Um, you know, if I shoot from the time I shoot and then I want to reload, I don't know. I guess I can guess and say I I probably did it in a minute or less. I want to get, I want to say, but I was also like, I mean, we, you know, we're going to get into this, so I don't want to, like, give everything away. But, you know, yeah. I shot a deer and it was, I, I needed to, I wanted to reload. I mean, I think no matter what, like, even if you shoot a deer and you drop it, you know what I mean? You want to reload just as quick as possible, just in case anything happens. So in that heat of the moment, it was like, you know, I, I knew I might get a, I might have to take a follow up shot. So it was just kind of like instinct and adrenaline took over. I knew where my stuff was. I knew what to do. I still, I still kept calm because if you're fumbling around and you're too excited and too excitable, you know, you start dropping stuff, you drop your powder in the snow. Well, now you're SOL. You know what I mean? Yeah. um, So you got to keep it composed. But anyway, those are like little nuances and I'm just a boss basically. And I just, you know, I just did it really fast. So. <laughs> okay. Um I have a question for you. Did you you use that during the regular firearm too, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yes, I did use it. Is that all because the whole boss thing or did you just not want to yeah. get the other no, gun? Yeah. Out? Basically total boss. I'm a boss. So <laughs> um it's my middle name. No, I uh when I was in the UP, I could have used my 270, but it, my uncle had it because technically it's it's my uncle. It was my grandpa's gun, and my uncle had it. Um, and I just I didn't get to sight it in, and I didn't want to get up to camp and be sighting it in. Yada yada. So yeah, I just used the muzzleloader because I'm really comfortable with it. I had sighted it in. I knew it was on. I knew things were good. And um, so I use that for all the firearm. And I don't have anything for down here below the rifle line that I can use really, besides besides that. So I mean, I have a bunch of shotguns, but. Um, bosses don't use shotguns bob so that's true that is why i uh that's why i went with the bushmaster this year that's right that's that's cool i was thinking um that's that was kind of my next question was because this this season during muzzleloader or what's traditionally been known as muzzleloader i believe down here you could have hunted with any firearm so it's kind of like an extended firearm season almost 
Um, yeah, I was yeah. I was curious to know if you had another gun that you could have used or not. I didn't, but that's what was really weird. And I don't know if we already talked about this. So I, I know we talked about the whole like muzzleloader season down here was basically an extended firearm season. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's what got really weird with the rules this year, and I think you and I personally talked about it, but yeah, during during the late, just for anybody who isn't familiar or is curious, probably no one, um, during the late antlerless firearm hunt, which is usually for you know antlerless deer on private land only, which is what it's always been, this year down here below the well it might have been in the lower peninsula um during that late antlerless firearm hunt you could hunt public land with a muzzle loader and take any deer you had a tag for which was super super weird and very misleading by the name of the season and confusing to a lot of people but i just wanted to clear that up before going any further not that any of this matters because it's over with now anyway but yeah you know i I just got a lot of facts in this brain and they got to get out somehow i think it just boils down to like there was a lot of i don't know kind of confusing information out there that you really had to do some research on to make sure that like what you were doing was was correct for the area that you were in yeah and the wording is always a little bit dicey too so yeah so talk me into buying a muzzle loader. Why would I want to buy one? Um, I mean, this year, like like we were just saying, in Michigan, you had the opportunity to hunt on, you know, public land for what three weeks or so with the, with a muzzle loader to fill any leftover tags, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to hunt because I disagree with your rules. So that's pretty much all the convincing you need right there. Um, bosses use muzzle loaders. Um, there's a lot of smoke when you shoot. So you kind of feel like you're in an old Western. Oh, that's pretty and, badass. Yeah, it is pretty much. Um, uh, man, I guess I don't have many selling points on a muzzle loader. I have mean, you ever usually seen those guys that use like the 1950, like flintlock ones. Um, I've never met them in person, but I hear, legend has it they're still out there. Yeah, that's what so, you need to do next. If you yeah, a real boss. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, that's that's the that's the idea. Um, you know, usually there's a there's a distinct muzzle loader season though, so I yeah. would say just for that alone, you know, because I know you don't like you're not busy with kids or anything, so you can yeah, get out for much any time. Yeah, so you should get a muzzle loader too um exploit that season but yeah usually there's a you know usually there's a separate muzzleloader season so it just gives you that opportunity even if you can get out for a day or two okay you have the muzzleloader again i like shooting them i think they're fun to shoot i mean they kick like less than a 20 gauge there there's something that you could introduce somebody who's new to shooting uh you could introduce them to a muzzleloader it's uh i don't know i i think they're i just like them but that's me and i hope that this has convinced you to consider purchasing a muzzle loader. Do you have a scope on yours? I do. Is it uh like the equivalent of like a rifle scope? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's nothing special. I don't even know loophole. Maybe I don't even know off the top of my head. I bought it's a, it's a CVA Optima two or 2.0. 
and I don't know a hell of a lot about the firearm besides, you know, how to, how it functions, how to clean it. To me, they're all tools. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I liked it when I picked it up. I heard good things. I did my research. I shot it. I shoot it. It go bang. I shoot <laughs> yeah. target. I shoot target. I shoot deer. That's I clean. That's it. Yeah. I think the main thing, like you said, is for our state and for uh, pretty much a, a lot of other states too, is just that extended season that you normally get with those things. Like this year right. being kind of an anomaly, but um, the extended season would make it a lot, like a lot more worth it to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So let's kind of keep moving a little bit and talk about wind bumping. So what exactly does it mean when you're wind bumping deer are, are these like the the wind bumps that i do at home to get my wife to leave the room <sighs> that was a porridge <laughs> i um, actually wrote that one down a week ago i wrote that one down i was hoping that wow. would a lot harder. thought that one would stick huh <laughs> yeah i think we'll be talking about that one for a while um so my buddy joel is when he kind of turned me on to them not this past season, but the season prior. And he ended up bumping, doing some wind bumps for me, and I shot a deer doing it. And so, you know, I got to give him credit for kind of showing me the ropes and explaining it to me. But it does it does make sense. It's essentially putting, you know, suspected bedding deer or suspected, you know, bedded deer or bedding areas downwind of the pusher or whatever. So say I'm, I'm pushing for you. I'm going to put uh i'm going to have bedding or what i where i think deer are bedded downwind of me so essentially you're 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 letting your scent do the work you're you're actually contrary to what you're usually during doing during season there's a lot of tongue twisters in here i'm fumbling um contrary to what you're usually doing you know trying to be upwind trying to you know have the deer not smell you obviously or detect you you're doing the exact opposite so you're just trying to get your scent. They're trying to get them to pick up your scent. So that way you hopefully kind of get them up on their feet and you kind of nudge them. And essentially what I've seen is a lot of times if it works, they'll kind of, if you know the escape routes, that's where you're standing. So let's say you're on stand and I'm trying to wind bump for you. You know, you're situated on a suspected escape route, or maybe you don't know the escape routes of a certain area, but you know, you, you, you try to figure it out as you go, as you get in there and they'll try to sneak out the back door, so to speak, rather than like when you're doing a full on deer drive to me, you're kind of spooking them out, like on a full tilt boogie, you know what I mean? Heading for the Hills, like you're walking through, you're pushing them. And a lot of times if they, to me, what I think happens is if they can smell you from a little bit of a distance, I think that they're keen on what's going on and they can like, sense a severity of danger that's how i kind of look at it so like if they can smell me from 60 yards away i don't think they necessarily always see that as an immediate threat so they're just going to get up and like move out of the way or like reload they're going to get up on their feet and, and move a little bit or move out of the area and that's where i think wind bumping is advantageous where if you're if you got the wind in your face and you're just doing a full-on deer drive with three or four other guys you're just walking up on them. And a lot of times you're like right on top of them before they hear you or, or whatever the case may be, or they hold tight. Um, 
because you are coming up on them and they don't know what to do. So they hold tight until the last second and then they burst out of there. And then the guy who's on stand trying to shoot is like, you know, Elmer fought all over again, just like blasting that deer and not hitting them. Um, I don't know if that really makes sense, but you're, you're basically letting your scent, you're trying to let your scent do the work for you and get those deer up and get them moving. Um, yeah. How, and it is, uh, oh, go ahead. No, it's just, it's, when it works, and I've seen it work a couple, you know, a few different times now, just in two seasons of doing it very, you know, on a very limited basis. But it is awesome to see the deer literally thinking like you can you can see it all unfold. Like it's like they they know that they're one upping you and they'll do like the soft trot, like a little soft trot and stop and look back towards where the scent's coming from or from where the pusher is. Maybe walk a few steps and kind of just like you know, and every time that this has worked from what I've seen, not necessarily with, with a kill, but just it's worked where like you've gotten deer up, you've had opportunities. The person who was actually doing the wind bump never even knew they got deer up on their feet, you know, until a shot's fired or afterwards you're like, oh yeah, you know, we had deer get up and move by us or, or whatever. So you're like watching them one up the other, you know, the guy who's wind bumping. Meanwhile, though, like, you know, you're there to ambush them and and get a shot off so i don't know it's it's super cool just to to see that to like see how they react to that scent or like to somebody wind bumping them or pushing them and, and seeing it happen in front of you yeah i was gonna ask you how far apart are like the two like the pusher and the stander how how large is this area that you're typically bumping it depends i mean if you can do a small i mean the smaller the better if you think about it you know what i'm saying like yeah which i don't feel like i have to explain that but maybe i do like if you're if you're if you have one guy wind bump and and one guy standing if you're in a huge area where the wind the guy wind bumping is going to start off letting this scent go through this like massive bedding area that's like you know say I mean, I don't even know, like, say you got this huge thicket that's like five acres or something and it's all nasty. I mean, you, you got, there's probably a lot of escape routes. So I feel like you want something smaller unless you have a huge bedding area where you don't know exactly where the deer are going to be and you have more guys. So like, I think you were going to ask me anyway, but like, there's really, I don't know if there's an ideal number of people to like wind bump with or push or whatever you want to call it deer drive because i think it all just depends on what spots you're going to be you know what i mean like working like which spots you're going to be pushing um i mean there were spots that we did where i don't really i wouldn't really want to do with more than three people total and including the person who's pushing there's other spots where i would never want to do them with anything less than three you know what i mean it just it just all depends like every spot calls for something different i feel like so it's just like any other it's all relative to any other type of whitetail hunting like it's you have to adapt kind of your strategy depending on the circumstances like there were spots that there was one spot in particular we drew up that we i kept wanting to push like towards the end of season when we were doing wind bumps like i really wanted to do it and it just never worked out for all of us because like every time the wind would have like called for us to do it, we had like not enough guys or like maybe too many guys. Like we never had that number that I thought, okay, 
if we have like three guys or four guys and the wind is doing this on this on a certain day, like this would be an awesome one to push. And it just never worked out that way. So then we'd have to draw up new plans and, and look at other areas, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to like, I mean, that could be a good example. Do you want to talk more about that terrain setup or what type of terrain setup you typically look for when you try to do these wind bumps? No. You want to just drop a pin and we can put it out there and we'll see. Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about it. Um, uh, in all honesty, it's it's hard to speak to it because I'm I'm still so new to it myself. Um, it just goes back to I think knowing escape routes and knowing bedding areas and how deer are going to move. Um, I I mean I think that's that's the biggest ticket to success. But you're asking ideal. I mean your ideal terrain setup. Um, something where, I mean, an ideal terrain setup is something where they, you know, you have a pinch point where like, you don't even have to second guess like an escape route. You know what I mean? Like, okay, if there's deer in here, this is what they're going to do. Or like they're going to do, or like, say you got one guy pushing and there's two people who are ready to stand or something. It's like, if you have certain, you know, terrain features, or characteristics where they only have like two options. Well, okay. You just set your standards there and then you can, you know, the pusher, as long as he's not getting backdoored, which can happen a lot too, where the deer actually, you know, slip around you. If you're working through a bedding area, trying to wind bump them, um, you know, as long as they don't do that, then, you know, you would think that that's probably the most ideal, you know, they only have one kind of one way to go. And that's, that's sort of how it worked out for us this year for, for Ty and I, but ideal number of hunters to do it with, I mean, I would say two to four, four max would, would probably be what I would say from what I've seen. Um, yeah, I'd say two to four. You you could do more, but again, I think every every situation calls for something different. Yeah, I think the cool thing is, though, is that you can do it with like a minimum of two. Something. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, the the two hunts I've been successful on, it was with two people, you know, me yeah. and someone else. So goes to show you don't need, you don't need a bunch of people out there to successfully do this. You don't even need a guy with a gun. You just need, I mean, take your, take your smelly uncle out there and have him stand at the other end. It's not that hard. Right. I mean, he probably would need a gun. That'd be, Oh, I see what you're saying. Not your smelly. It just in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just pretty much got to be a boss. Hey, I was going to ask you, I know you've only done this a couple of times, but have you had success wind bumping the same location more than one time? It could be, uh, we could start with the same. Well, have you ever done the same location in the same season before? Um, yes, I have. And was it successful on more than one occasion? It was not for it was not successful for me, but I will say Joel, who has a lot more experience, I'd say he's just a lot more in tune and like better at this than I am, especially being the guy who's like performing the actual wind bump. He has had I I don't want to speak for him, but I believe I believe they killed, 
I believe he was part of like three bumps in one area and on two of them they killed deer on so it might have been more than that they might have killed three times in this one area but he's kind of he's got it down to where he can almost stack areas like there's multiple bedding areas and so just high probability and that just goes back to knowing your area scouting understanding what's going on yeah and i think there's something there too compared to like a deer drive where you're just you know hauling ass through a spot trying to blow deer out if you're doing more of a soft bump like this i'm just kind of speculating here but maybe they do come back to that area and you know they don't if you don't kill them and they you know they can come back maybe they do feel safer there and it's just different than just blowing them out that's a good point the only one you've had all night yeah that's um but i think you're right i think you're right i mean it makes sense to me and that's like you know ty and i went out that was our first wind bump of of the year was december 4th i was super excited you know we were both like fired up ty had never done one before ty's done deer drives before and he's had success doing like deer drive type type thing so like he you know it's you know ty i mean he's not an idiot he knows what he's doing and so he had a pretty good idea going into it but um i completely lost my train of thought so uh go on uh i honestly have no idea but we can go into the next one because ty (laughs) Ty was supposed to be on with us but that's what i was yeah he was supposed to pick up right there and he's not here so so (laughs) we'll catch you on the next one Catch you next time. Yeah. Big but golf, I mean, do you want to, so December 4th, right? Is that the day? That is the day, dude. Magic day. Yeah. Magic day. So, I mean, why don't you just take it and run with it, buddy? Thanks. Um, so, yep. First bump of the season. Uh, Ty and I planned on going, then we were going to meet up with Joel potentially later in the evening and um possibly garrick and um ty of course like i love doing virtual scouting and everything during the off season whenever like i love looking at maps so this was like a whole new dynamic i started looking at spots i knew it it put like all the intel i have from like all these public properties and bedding areas like it it put them like shed a new light on them because i'm like oh like i'm gonna just literally like wind bump and like the rest of the season that's what i'm gonna do and try to learn areas better by going through them and pushing them and whatever so i took like all these maps and started literally this is how nerdy it got like drawing like taking screenshots on my phone of areas and then using like the drawing like different color you know like just drawing with my fingers on my phone like drawing the wind direction drawing you know okay the standard could go here the pusher could go here you know what I mean? Like just pretty much drawing it up so you could have a visual and as nerdy and like over the top as it may sound, it's a lot easier when you're, when you're out there, you've got short daylight hours. You can't get in as many of these wind bumps as you think you can in one day. You might think like, Oh, if we had it planned out, we can get 10 in. no, you might get like five in. you know what I mean? If you're really prepared. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, having everybody on the same page before you go out for the day like this is what we're going to do this is the plan um you know it'll save you a lot of time so i guess i had to start there because that was a big part of 
um, mine and Ty's plan was, you know, basically, okay, this is what the wind's doing. And we had all these areas that we were just like throwing back and forth to each other. Like, okay, do we want to try this one, this one? So we tried the first one in this, this big thicket that I'm, I mean, I love, I mean, I, I shot one of my doe this year came out of this thicket. It's just, there's always a lot of deer in it. It's one of those areas that is way too big for like, for like, I ended up wind bumping it for Ty and he was set up well. Um, you know, I felt like I bumped it pretty adequately, didn't move too fast, didn't move too slow. The wind was carrying through, but it is like afterwards, it's such a huge bedding area. It's such a big thicket that deer, the more I thought about it, it's like these deer had a million and one escape routes and I could have got backdoored. So I did it and it had snowed like a day before and there was so much sign in there. It was like, how did he how did I not push deer out to him? And the whole idea was, you know, Ty kind of had a rough season. I was pretty fortunate, uh, during archery season. So like, I was just, I want, I told Ty, like, I'm going to walk all day and I'll try to bump a deer, you know, bump deer to you, whatever. So we did that one. That one took a while, nothing. Uh, we headed back out. We went across the street and did another one along Lake line. And that was another one of those ones where I felt like if there were deer in there, like, they would have gone to tie because they just like, there was a strip of woods that came out of this thicket and, you know, it the strip of woods, there was a lake and there was a road. And I just, it would have made more sense for deer to escape kind of hugging the lake line. So I figured Ty would get a shot. Um, that didn't work out. So we were over two and we had a plan where it's extremely hard to explain without honestly like showing a diagram but essentially there was a you know state recreation area ty was going to go into the recreation area and park at a spot i was going to be on an opposite road outside the recreation area i was going to walk in ty was going to park at one of the parking lots inside the rec area and push this really small bedding area that I probably have not scouted or checked out in probably 10 years. Like I have not even been in this area, but I know there used to be a lot of deer that would bed in these pines pretty close to a public parking lot. And that's where Ty was going to park. And the way the wind was, like I told Ty, I'm like, you know, this is one where I basically told him like, you can just wind bump it real quick and then go back, like wind bump it basically for me. And because the whole, the, the bigger idea, the bigger picture here was Ty being inside the park, he was actually going to drive around to the bat, the furthest parking lot in the rec area. And then I was going to start pushing from this spot anyway, and like push this huge area where again, it would like basically funnel, it had to like funnel the deer to him. So just because he was going to be in there anyway, I just said, well, why don't you just stop at this spot? And I'll just go to where I'm going to start pushing to you, but you kind of push to me first. You know what I mean? Just to eliminate this one bedding area. Does that make sense at all? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. Like there was one small bedding area and it wouldn't have made sense for me to drive into the park and then like flip flop and switch. Like it wouldn't have made any sense. It would have taken up way too much time. Um, so Ty 
you know, I get on, and there's a huge ravine like in between us. So I get to where I'm like situated. There were a couple fresh deer beds there. I'm like, okay. And there's this huge ravine and Ty's like, okay, I'm going to start pushing. And I knew it was only going to be a matter of minutes before he popped up and I could see him. And so, you know, I'm sitting there waiting, watching. And then to my right, not really where I was expecting him, Ty popped up and I was like, oh, he's right there. Like he's like 60 yards from me across this little ravine. And so I kind of like pop out from behind the tree with my, you know, and I'm like, Hey, so I texted him and I'm like, Hey, if you can like loop back around Well, I was, I think I might've called him and we were just being quiet. I'm like, do you see those pines to your South? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I see him. I said, try to loop back around and like, let your wind go through those pines. So he loops back around. He's like, okay, yeah, I got you. So he loops back around and kind of works through those pines and I swear to God, this deer jumped up from like no more than like 40 feet from where I had seen Ty standing across the ravine from me. Like the most bizarre thing ever. This deer pops up and I'm like, that thing was just bedded like within feet of where Ty was just standing. And it gets up and I'm like, I wasn't, we, I mean, I wasn't expecting it at all. I'm like half asleep, you know, I'm just like, whatever, you know, looking across the ravine and see this deer pop up and so I can tell by the way from where I knew Ty was and like the way the deer was like I was saying it was kind of slinking off and it was looking back you know like they do like okay something something's going on it wasn't super spooked started heading straight towards me and then veered to its right so now like the way I'm looking at it I can see the left side of its body and it's like walking from right to left and it's looking back over its right shoulder towards where Ty was and at this point I had, I had, you know, put the binos on it and it was a buck and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a spike, but I can tell you it wasn't a booner either. (laughs) Um, But I was like, for a second, I'm like, eh. And then I was like, no, I'm shooting this thing. Like, this is too cool. Like for this to work, like in, and the deer was at this point broadside, like 80 yards. Yeah. So I, cock the hammer back and it's always like that surreal like oh this is actually happening you know what i mean like oh this is happening right now like okay time to time to go you know get to work and um yeah cock the hammer back i felt pretty steady um were you were you standing i was standing and i was holding the gun up against the tree yeah i mean broadside 80 yards no excuse i shoot deer freaking like pretty much goes down and like tumbles down this ravine just crashes down to where i can't see it and the world goes silent and i'm like i'm instantly start reloading and get reloaded and like i see ty across the ravine like walking up and he's like making hand gestures to me and i think i texted him just to keep quiet i'm like buck down you know like i shot a buck and obviously he knew i shot something but probably thought it was a squirrel or something. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was just dreaming over there oh. um so then i start to walk across the ravine where it's a little bit narrower and i'm like yeah i think it's down and we hear it like thrashing around down there and i'm like shit you know and so i get up closer to ty and he's like i see it i see it he's like it's over 100 out but he's like it's moving around and I'm like, man, if you think you can make a good shot on it, like, shoot it. So he shoots. I think he missed it. <laughs> so now he's reloading. 
and it's like, I mean, just looking like idiots at this point. Yeah. I mean, not really. I don't, I mean, it was just one of those things where all of a sudden I realized like, ah, you know, that kind of like a, a gut wrenching feeling where I can see the deer, the deer is not going to live. I mean, I could run up and tackle it if need be, but it's just like, you kind of go into that, like, we need to get this over with as quick as possible kind of thing. And so Ty reloaded. I tried to reposition on her as it was like trying to get up like this one side of the ravine and like it, it couldn't it couldn't really get anywhere. And so we realized that we moved in closer. Um, and now we were like kind of down in the ravine with it and we were spread out a little bit. I told Ty to like get up on top of this little knoll just in case it like like got a burst of energy and skirted around to where we couldn't see it. So I was like, get up on there in case it in case it skirts around the back side of this little rise. And, you know, we're only, Ty and I are only 30 yards apart, 40 yards apart. This deer is only 50 yards from us at this point. It all happened really fast. But, um, so we're both reloaded and I had a bead on it, but it was quartered away pretty severe. I was going to shoot it in the neck. And then Ty, uh, Ty said, Hey, I got a broadside shot on it. And I said, shoot it. You know, I just put the gun down and said, shoot it. And so he shot and, um, you know, he, he obviously, double lunged it excellent shot um from a whopping you know 50 yards or so but yeah um, who knows i probably would have missed and so then so the deer, then you called you me know. and i drove out there and i shot it <laughs> right called my dad he yeah. came out with a poke called my little <laughs> six-year-old nephew he came out um no so the deer you know then it like ran off and Oh, it still it still kept going. Well, when when Ty sh- smoked it through the lungs, it did like boom. You know, it kind of ran off. Like, yeah, I think it. I don't know if it got a kick of adrenaline from the shot or what, but yeah, it took off and then went over towards the lake line, and um, it it still took a minute to expire completely. Like Ty and I basically were like walking up to it from a distance, and we were probably twenty yards from it, and it was facing away, but we could see it take its last breath. And, um, we kind of just sat there and, um, that was a, a very, you know, just kind of a surreal thing. Like here we were, like it all worked. We got a deer, we got a buck on the ground. We were super excited. You know, we, we were excited. We had high hopes. You never, you never think it's going to come together and happen kind of thing. Albeit, you know, as a two and a half year old buck, you know, I'm super happy about it. But, um, I mean, we sat there and watched this thing, like, and I like, I remember telling Ty, like I looked at him and I'm like, I really want to look away, you know, like I told him, I'm like, I don't really want to watch this, you know? And he's like, he kind of gave me the same, he gave me a look of like kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, no, nah, like we can't, like we, we can't do that. You know, like you can't look away. Like that's, yeah, we did it. You know, we did this, like we're going to watch, you know? And so we both just kind of stood there next to each other and, uh, and watched it and, watched it take its last breath and uh we said a few words and you know we were excited we were we high-fived and gave each other a big old bear hug but at the same time we got over to the deer and paid our respects and it was it was tough man to be honest it was i mean super exciting we don't get me wrong like we were i wouldn't trade it for the world it was awesome but it's just like it was another reminder of like how serious it is like what you're doing out there and then you see 
like what I ended up doing, I, I swore up and down, like my gun was off. I'm like, I, I, I was telling people, I was like, I would bet you a hundred dollars. My gun is low and left because I ended up going through the two front legs and like the bottom of the brisket, like right there. Like, I mean, I missed the heart by probably an inch, but it was just not where I was aiming. It was, you know, I was aiming behind the shoulder lungs and it's not where I hit. And I was like, I know I was steady on that thing. And again, I was like betting people at work, everything. Like, I guarantee you, I'm going to be three inches low and two inches left or whatever it was. And I ended up shooting it again. And I was, you know, dead center at a hundred yards. I mean, bullseye, bullseye, like the gun wasn't off at all. It was just, you know, in the moment, I didn't think I rushed the shot. I thought it was a great shot and just goes to show, you know, it's a lot happens in the moment. And it, again, I don't, it wasn't a terrible shot, but um, a, a little bit one way or the other. And that deer would have ran off with a little bit of, you know, missed uh, grazed hair and a little bit of blood and it would have been fine. But um, so that was kind of on me. I felt a little sheepish. I mean, being that I pretty much shoot for a living too, you know, it's like, it's not really excusable in my book, but, um, but I, you know, Ty was like, good job, you know, like, you know, and I haven't shot a buck in a while just because I, you know, can be a little bit picky. And, um, you know, I, like I told him, I said, it's just as much your deer as it is mine. I mean, it takes two people to, to do this type of hunting and you're the one who pushed it to me. And you, you know, I ended up putting the actual, you know, fatal shot on it. Not that, not that I couldn't have or whatever, but it would have been the same thing had the roles been reversed and I would have been pushing that area for him, um, except he would have dropped it and not shot it in the legs. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, of course, then the running joke was like, oh, yeah, because, again, like I was trying to push deer to tie and I was like, yeah, just push this one spot for me real quick, you know. So then the running joke for the rest of the day was like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you, you played that one perfectly, didn't you? You know, like, yeah, this spot won't have any deer in it. Just push it to me real quick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we got to work. We freaking – or I think Ty – what did we do? I walked back up to the truck to get my pack. Uh, obviously got a tag on it. Ty grabbed his truck, swung back around, and then we went down there, gutted it real quick, drug it up. And then moved on to the next push. It was pretty sweet. We did a couple more pushes after that. One thing that you said that kind of reminded me of uh, the deer that I shot was like, yeah, it was a two and a half year old or whatever. People are all, everybody teach their own on that kind of stuff. But the fact that um, you guys had a plan and it pretty much followed the plan and that, I don't know how much it factored into your decision to shoot it, but like that was back, back in November, that was like all that went through my head was like, uh, you know, I saw that buck in the morning. I made a plan for it all day thinking about it. Saw the same deer in the evening. Like there was no way I wasn't going to shoot it. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's kind of, yeah, it drew up perfectly, and like I said, I totally took advantage of Tyler and made him push the one good spot for me. So for me, it was like a no-brainer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was it's just—it's one of those things, man. We're like, oh yeah, people say, oh, I wouldn't have shot that deer or whatever, but it's like put yourself in that situation where you made the plan and you worked hard for it, and then tell me what you would have done, type of thing. 
Right. And again, like you said, to, to each their own. Like I, there's a lot of people, even I know that are like, no, I wouldn't have shot that deer. And that's fine. I don't, I mean, that is totally up to them. Like I know we've said it on many occasions, like I'm not going to judge anybody for what they decide to shoot or not shoot. I mean, ever, as long as it's legal. So yeah. And I'm not, and I wasn't saying like, Oh, well, it's not a big deal. Cause it was just a small buck. I mean, no, I was still, it was still awesome. And I'm going to try doing a European mount with it because I shot it like, actually shot it like within 50 yards of where I shot my first turkey so I'm gonna like do a euro mount of this like goofy looking buck and put it hang it up next to the turkey but it was a I mean I think it has five scorable points it's got like one side that it's got like a you know it'd be like a just it'd be like just like it would just be like a basket six yeah Uh, and it's got I think I'm guessing something happened to it when it was in velvet because like it's got, I think it's, it's right. It's right. Beam comes up as a, just a really long spike. And then it's got this long brow tine, but between the brow tine and the main beam, like spike, it like cuts down almost to its skull. Like it almost has like a double beam. It's, it's really weird. I don't know if when it was in velvet, it, ran into something or what happened but definitely a uh an odd characteristic but nonetheless i mean yeah the plan came together i was ecstatic i mean ty was ecstatic obviously everything that happened like in those last couple minutes after shooting the deer that was kind of tough on you know i mean it was kind of tough but at the same time it's it's like another reminder of what you're doing out there you know like you're trying to take a life of a big animal it's yeah it it should be taken seriously yeah like everybody you know you picture it in your head like you're gonna pull that trigger it's gonna fall it's gonna be stone cold dead and that's gonna be the end of it but more often than not that's not always the case and like if you hunt long enough if you shoot at them long enough you're gonna have experiences like that it's just part of the game yeah, like that shot for me, like not boss. Not boss. Yeah, boss weapon, talk. using a boss weapon, but you might very say, not boss shot. One might say anti-boss. Anti-boss, yeah. Yeah, but that was uh, that. was that. We went on and we did a push with uh, Garrick in an area that I had high hopes for. I didn't push anything to them. I, I realized at the end of that day that I'm just not good at doing the wind bumps myself. Um, you know, Ty did one and he's like, Oh, I got you a deer. (laughs) Oh, that was easy. Um, we did our last push of the day. We were running low on light and me and, uh, or Joel and I, I should say, ended up wind bumping an area for Tyler and Garrick that Joel bumped for me last year. And I had like 30 deer pass by me in range. So we bumped that and, the wind was weird and Joel was like, and this is just, this is just to show like his knowledge. I mean, he, you know, he, he's been doing this long enough. Like he, he just seems to know, you know, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. And we were getting ready to get off the road and walk into this thicket. And he's like, these deer are bed super close. Like they're not going to be very far in here. And he's like, you know what? He's like, this wind is not great. He's like, they might not like pick up on us right away. And he, he said, he's like, why don't you stay back by the road? He's like, 
there's a good chance that I could get like backdoored. Like these deer could just slip right around me and try crossing. And he got like 20 feet inside the woods, maybe more, maybe like 30, 40 feet. And I started hearing stuff and I had two deer walk right out into the road, like right next to me. And I could have shot both of them had, I mean, I was on a road. There was, um, there were some vehicles like entering this, like coming, turning onto this road. And so it was like, I mean, I wouldn't have shot them on the road. Like I should probably just shut up. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, add a couple more no, violations. I, mean, I, I wouldn't have shot. I was, I was, I was off of the road and I would not have shot them on the road, but there was an op- there were opportunities had there not been vehicles nearby. Um, I mean, even with those vehicles there, I could have still legally shot deer, but I'm not going to like, you know, Joe Schmo's driving by. I'm not going to shoot a deer in front of them when they're like four year olds in the car. Like, Oh, look yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was crazy. Cause they did exactly what he, he's like, you stay back because I think that, you know, deer might slip by me and that's what happened. So it was, a. Uh, I I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, I, could have gotten another shot off that evening but um it was a it was a fun day it was a lot of fun yeah trying to think if i had any more questions for you i mean overall like you're i I know you're still pretty new to the whole wind bumping thing i've never actually gone out with you and done it yet but like it sounds like it's a good opportunity to just learn a lot because you're you're just you're walking through their bedroom essentially and it's something that you would never try to do during like bow season for example so i don't know it just seems like a really good learning opportunity i have kind of a stupid question when you're being the person who's doing like the pushing are you essentially just like still hunting your way through the bedding area and walking straight toward the other guy um, no, it's not a stupid question because I, that's a great, I should ask somebody else that cause obviously I'm not good at it, but, um, I'd say like zigzagging a little bit, but yeah, still hunting. I'd say for yeah. most, like there were times given how thick or thin, like the cover was, I would move faster or slower. And I think I would have done better off just literally like still hunting and going super slow and like acting like I was trying to walk up on a deer. Whereas at times, I didn't want deer to backdoor me. So I would like move a little quicker and maybe purposely make noise. I think I was just overthinking it probably, but, um, but to your point, and I'm glad you brought that up. Like that was one of the coolest parts. Like I put on, like every time I was doing these bumps, like I'd log it and, you know, I'd be walking four to six miles, you know, which isn't a ton, but um, you're going through some hellacious stuff. And the best part about it was literally walking through these areas and, taking my phone out, taking Onyx out and dropping pins, like, you know, big, you know, fresh scrapes or community scrape or, um, you know, whatever these, this, this rub line or, uh, you know, this spot that there's a, there's a big bed seems like a buck bed, you know, just, yeah. So it's literally like you get to scout while you're doing it, which is awesome. Right. All right, man. Um, I don't, I don't have anything else on that. I know the next, the next item on the agenda, we were just going to recap the past season. It's hard to believe that it was already like two months ago, this hunt that we're talking about today. 
So, I, I, I mean, I would call your season a success. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that you would, too. Yeah, well, I would say the same for you, and I know we've talked about it, but this was your first year. Let's just, you know, you yes, you have archery hunted when you were younger, but for all intents and purposes, this was your first year bow hunting, and you went out and killed a buck. So, I don't know who had a more successful season, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was – I I personally – I said a lot of things in our first episode and like maybe it was our second episode, just talking about what our goals were for this year. And I talked about, you know, bump and dump and doing this and doing that. And once again, I found myself not doing things I said I was going to do, but I also felt like I, you know, I was, I was smarter about the way that I did hunt. I was smarter about my setups. I wasn't at first because, I mean, I could have shot a pretty nice buck there early on in bow season if I would have just, you know, played it smart and done what my instincts were telling me. But um, I don't know. I feel like I just, again, I feel like I turned another corner this season like I did last year, Um, just getting more mobile, more aggressive. And I feel like I turned another corner this year. Um, So, I mean, as a recap, you know, a couple, couple nice does in the freezer and got the, got the monkey off my back with the archery equipment after a long drought and was able to do quite a few wind bumps. You know, we went out multiple times after that and actually put, uh, Tyler did have Joel and I wind bumped an area and Tyler had a chance to kill some deer and he passed. And, um, so we repaid it back to him and, um yeah i mean that was just a blast like you would love the wind bumping thing is just i mean some people don't like it some people don't agree with it or agree with people doing it because there's so many people out there trying to hunt from a stand and they think it's bs well if you're on public land to each their own so um it's one of my favorite things to do it's one of my favorite ways to hunt and i don't even like part of me never wants to sit like stationary with a firearm ever again because it's just it's a rush, man. It's, it's active hunting. You're doing it with buddies. It's, it's a lot of fun. And as long as you're safe and smart, responsible, you have a plan. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, again, I, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of what I said I wanted to do, but I turned another corner and I'm looking forward to the 2022 season. Yeah. I, I definitely learned a lot. Like I spent a lot of time, starting in the spring when I bought that bow, just a lot of time trying to refocus. Um, learned a lot about bow hunting, learned a lot about the equipment, stuff that, it was, like you said, it's kind of brand new to me as far as, like, my last bow was just a youth bow, so this was, like, my first adult bow that I learned on. Um, I think my goal was to shoot a deer with the bow, which I did, um, but also to just continue learning. Um I made sure to put myself in better situations. I paid a lot more attention to the wind this year and basically would rule places out if it wasn't right, which is something that I hadn't done in the past. I used to just hunt the same stand over and over again. And really you can see a change. Like when I hunted over at uh, my buddy's grandma's place down the road, like we hunted out there four times and just played it off of, what the wind was doing and kind of what the sign we were seeing and we saw deer every single time and it's only 20 acres. So 
it's not like we were hunting over this giant ranch or anything like that. Like we had limited spots, but it's just little changes like that, that I wouldn't have done in the past make me feel like, uh, like I'm learning something, like I'm becoming better, uh, as a hunter and then talking with you and listening to all the other podcasts and stuff. Like I found, um, that that one episode of wired to hunt where you've got cody DeQuisto on i probably listened to that like three times but it, because of that i thought like he talks about shooting sitting down out of a tree stand which was something that i had never even really thought about before i was like well why don't i try that so my new like go-to setup this year was just like two sticks up off the ground shoot to uh shooting seated to where i could just shoot like a deer trail or something at like 12 yards and just be as still as you can but it you know it it ended up being it's an easy setup to get into and i felt most comfortable shooting sitting down like that and that's how i ended up killing that deer so i don't know something that i would have never thought to do before um really worked out for me this year that's probably my favorite podcast episode of all time of any podcast like that episode on wired to hunt with cody DeQuisto. yeah i've, I've, I've listened to that one i mean embarrassingly I, the same yeah. probably nine times like I, i've recommended it to people just like anybody who's hardcore into it you gotta listen to that one has nate um, listened to it? yeah i told him to listen to it he's really into it too um as far as like things that i didn't do so well uh see the thing that's tough i know i say it all the time i sound like a broken record but i don't have a lot of opportunities to hunt so i kind of like have to pick weekends out in advance and just that's the time i have so that's when i'm going but i i need i need to get better at like trying to plan that stuff because like this this year for example i was like all right you know I'm, i'm finally back into bow hunting let's go we're gonna hunt opening weekend and we're gonna hunt the next weekend we're gonna hit it super hard and there was just not a lot of activity going on then. It was still warm out. I feel like the deer weren't even moving yet. They were still like doing summertime stuff. And turns out, looking at like my trail camera data and all that stuff, the prime activity on our farm anyway was like October 20th. And of course, I was back at home because I burned all my time the first two weeks of the season. Sure. So, But you never know when that's going to fall. You never know when that's going to happen. And it'd be nice in an ideal world, you know, you can, you know, you, there's no such thing as work and you can pick and choose. But, <laughs> right. You, you know, we're, we got to play the hands we're dealt. And I, I'd say, you know, you made the most of it. I think it'll be really cool too. Like, especially if we keep this going or whatever, just to see how, you know, next season turns out for you and how much you learn. And then the season after, whereas like, I wish I was keeping logs or had documentation of like when I started to where I am now, which is like, nowhere <laughs> you know i haven't gained, <laughs> i haven't gained much ground but yeah i know you're super hard on yourself but so one of the things that i was i had written down here was changes for next year um is there anything that you can i know i will get into it like yeah you have to duty calls and whatnot you have to leave for a while but is there anything that you can think about right now that you would change for next year well, if I were able to hunt next year, um, do you want to briefly talk about that? 
Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to be, I don't know what we're going to do as far as, um, I'm going to be in overseas for four or five months. So hopefully get back sometime in November. So going to miss the prime, the, the glory of October, which I'm really bummed about amongst being bummed about missing a lot of other things. But, um, if I were to, um, change any, I mean, it's hard to say right now, just cause you know, my mind's been on ice fishing. So I haven't been thinking about deer a whole lot. I mean, if I knew I were hunting next year, I'd do a lot more scouting. Like this past off season, uh, like last off season, I didn't do any like scouting, which I kind of, and I used to scout like day in and day out, but I've kind of adapted the, I've adapted to like, like when it's opening day, I'm trying to go out there and scout while I hunt. But I think there's still a lot that, I mean, so much you can gain by off season scouting. So, I'd probably be doing a lot of that if if it would I mean and it would still be beneficial to do it for seasons in the future but I'd probably do a lot more of that for starters. Yeah. Sort of related to that uh like in-season scouting type of stuff. So um our farm is like an hour away, right? So it's hard for me to be there and figure out what's going on. So I did buy more cell cameras that I'm going to run next year. So <laughs> that way I can kind of see what's going on closer to real time rather than what usually happens where I go up there and pull a card and look back three weeks. And it's like, Holy shit, look at that buck that was here three weeks ago. Oh, that's so, awesome. the vapor. Yeah. And then you never see him again, but you know, like I said, it's hard for me to get out, but you know, if I have a picture of a giant deer, maybe I could use that as some leverage to, to just shoot up there real quick and see if I can't get it done. I don't know. And well, then I like, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I never did get you out on public land. And I happen to know a guy who's got a pretty good mobile setup who isn't going to be using it next October. So, you know, he might know a couple spots to check out. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Hey man, send it my way. Put it in the mail. Hey, it's all yours. Um, one thing that I was going to think about, well, actually one thing I've been thinking about was like equipment, um, not, not, uh, tree stands and stuff, but like actual, uh, like arrows and broadheads and whatnot. And this year I was shooting expandables and it seems like everybody moved to the fixed blades. So I was thinking, Hmm, like, do I need to move to the fixed blades too? Am I just going to keep shooting these? But then it's like I shot a deer with one. So why would I want to switch that now? Um, but one thing I might try this summer is just trying a few different heads and a few different arrows. But it's kind of yeah. hard to – like I feel I feel almost guilty or, or like I got super lucky because uh, it was like my first year doing it and I killed one. So it's going to be hard for me to change anything. Exactly. And, and do what you're comfortable with. Like I, yeah, I switched to iron wheels. I love them. I don't know if I'll ever go to like a expandable again. Which yeah. Three years ago, I would have said, I'm going to shoot rage until the day I die. And I think they're great. And I think, it, I think I've always said like, you can kill a deer, a deer with a field tip if you hit it in the right spot. So, I mean, it's just, you know, there's the whole, like the super heavy arrow setups, like the plan B in case you make a not great like a marginal shot you might still kill the deer but i mean i think that's personal preference and that's you know if you're feel if you like the expandables and they worked for you this year i mean ride it out 
Yeah, it, that's the thing too. Is I, I don't know. I'd hate to be tinkering with something and then something doesn't go my way or whatever. I don't. I do something where I don't feel comfortable anymore, and that was just such a big part of it this year. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you're just getting you're just getting back into it too, so it's like one step at a time. You know what I mean? And then say yeah. you're, off to, you're off to a pretty good start. Yeah, I feel like almost what happens is guys get bored, so they just try something else even guys who are shooting deer like they'll just try something else just to do something new and i can't really fault anybody for doing that you got to see what else is out there but experiment a little if it ain't broke don't fix it i guess for now that's right that's right so you said you've been doing a lot of ice fishing yeah man that's pretty much been been the been the gig here recently just uh been itching to shoot my bow just for the heck of it but yeah getting fishing and stocking the freezer full of fish so yeah i think i shot well i started shooting obviously like last april and then just kind of ramped it up through summer and was shooting pretty much every day as fall you know drew near to the october 1st but uh, i'll probably start shooting again once the spring weather comes back around just do the same thing i did last year that's such a huge thing. Like I, I've been guilty of it in my younger days and I still know people who like, they'll go out like a couple days in September, fling a few arrows and they're like, okay, I'm good. But it's like, it's not about if you can hit your mark or your bows on. It's like just getting comfortable to where it's like second nature, like it's instinct where you're going to anchor your bow, like the shot, everything, the whole routine is just second nature where you just do it and you don't even have to think about it, you know? And I think yeah. that's like, one of the biggest factors in being lethal with, you know, when you're shooting. Yeah. I remember telling you like <clears throat> when I did shoot at that deer, it was really strange because I felt so calm and I didn't expect that at all. And I think it's just, it's just from practicing and from practicing that particular shot, even that same day. But I don't even remember like drawing back. I just, I just remember letting the arrow go and I I saw that lighted knock light up and I was like, holy crap, we're doing this. Like it was almost like my mind shut off and it was just muscle memory. It was hard to explain. And that's key. And if you're not prepared for that, then that's when your nerves really can, you know, just wreak havoc on you. Cause it's like, Oh, is this right? Am I, you know, cause you're just not, again, it's not like instinct. It's not natural. Whereas if you're shooting all the time, it's just like, okay, just doing doing the same old thing you know i know where to put it this is where i need to put it and bada boom bada bang yeah i know you were gonna ask me about a mobile setup but i i still don't know what i want to do with that one man i know it's like uh it's a it's a big investment i know that but i'm sure i would use it over time so it's like a one-time investment or whatever and it'll pay off for years but i just need to make sure that i really be putting myself into situations where I would end up using it. Like our family farm is, there's not a lot of trees and stuff. I mean, I I have probably just a handful of trees that I could actually hunt out of, even with a saddle or something like that. It's just, it's, it's agriculture land pretty much. So it's like flat, there's not a lot of trees going on. Right. And I would only like, I know I, I give you grief about it. Like, Oh, you got to switch to it, you know, because I've been doing it, but I also only hunt public land. So I would say, yeah. if you, if you wanted to venture out and you're like, well, <clears throat> got public land behind my house, pretty much like 
and you wanted to start doing that, I think you would quickly realize, even if you went a season without a mobile setup and you were hunting public land, you'd quickly realize the advantage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where, even if you only got out there on public land two or three times a season, it would still be so worth it rather than lugging stands out there and setting them up and tearing them down and everything. It's just, it's so much more convenient. Yeah, that that is a good point because like, even if I do hunt more around here, like whether it's at my buddy's house or out on public land or whatever, I definitely would need to get something because what I have now that's like, quote unquote, my mobile setup is, is way too heavy to constantly be putting up and tearing down. Like it's a, it's just a hang on stand and then some sticks, but it's still way heavier than any of that new like mobile stuff. So I don't know. Nate bought a saddle like a couple months ago toward the end of uh, like the regular bow season. So he's got a saddle and he's got some, he bought those like Hawk helium sticks. So he's been practicing out of that and he's hunted out of it a few times. So I'm sure I'll get to try that out this summer and see how it goes. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I want to talk to him soon sometime just because, yeah, I have a feeling with, with all, everything I heard about his season, I think he's going to, he's going to be deadly. Yeah, he's got the bug for sure, and he's got a phone full of areas to check out next year. So we'll see, man. What keeps us going? That's right. So I don't know, man. I know you wanted to. Let's see. Talk about next season. I'm just I'm bummed that you're going to be gone. I know that you are too. So I don't really. I can't. (laughs) I can't beat it too bad. Yeah, uh, just yeah, be feel fortunate because I'm already just you know bummed out, but it's got plenty of seasons left. So hopefully, I'll get back in November and be able to hunt November a little bit, December, and you know, maybe I won't get to hunt at all, but that's fine. Um, I'll be living vicariously through you and everybody else. So we're gonna have to tag up and try to record somehow, even if it's at like three in the morning. Scratch yeah. that itch. Yeah, we'll do three in the morning your time. It'll be what, like noon for me or something. That'll be great. <laughs> I was thinking the other way around, but yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, we can compromise. Yeah. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss it, but it'll, uh, it'll all be good. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get together and we'll do a few more of these before you leave and maybe try to get some buddies on or something. Yeah, we got lots that we've talked we've talked about talking about, which would be fun. But it's just a matter of uh, putting together a plan and making it happen. Executing. Mm-hmm. Well, man, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to add? No, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I'm glad that we got to jump back into the whitetail realm here in February. It's like probably zero degrees here in Michigan right now, so. It's nice to dream of a nice, uh, you know, early October, like 50 degree sit right now. But um, no, I mean, overall, I couldn't have asked for really much more of a better season. I'm really happy with it. And I'm, I mean, for both of our sakes and um, yeah, I'm just itching to get back out there whenever that may be. Yeah, it was awesome. Like it was just totally new, totally historical wolverine whitetail is on the board just amazing (laughs) amazing we're the we're the best (laughs) i will say something though you mentioned the cold i was reading the other day that uh 
if you're thinking about feeding deer a bunch of corn and stuff, they said don't do that because it tricks them and it messes with their insides because they're not used to that food this time of year. So don't go dumping a bunch of corn out there for your deer. Interesting. Yeah, it's actually bad for them. Uh, but you know what's some... good for them? Is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say what's good for them is a food plot from our friends over at Crooked Ben. And we want to thank them for sponsoring our podcast. And they've got a brand new website out there with lots of cool new seed blends for the 2021 season. Make sure that you hit them up for all your food plot needs and use code Wolverine at checkout to get a free hat with your order. Chooch, old buddy. Hunt smart. Hunt hard. This is Wolverine Whitetail. <laughs> <laughs>